you have your Bibles, would you open to Ephesians chapter 6, please? Um, we, uh, we have been in this series now, this is the third week, about winning spiritual battles. We're talking about the spiritual realm, which is sometimes uh, an out of sight, out of mind thing. Uh, we obviously don't see spirits, uh, but we see the effect that spirits have on this world, whether they're good or bad. And, um, and kind of in leeway to what we're going to talk about, not this Sunday evening, we have our chili cook-off and pie auction for our youth and children's camp tonight, but next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to be talking about uh, what are, who are fallen angels, who is Satan, who are demons, what are angels, period. And uh, that's a doctrinal study that we'll have uh, the following Sunday night at 6 o'clock here in the sanctuary. But we know, uh, I hope you know, that spiritual forces are alive and present all around us today. Uh, Satan would like to do nothing more than to uh, disrupt this service and cause you to miss not only the worship, but the word that God has for you today. And uh, you can give in to that. And you can totally uh, turn your mind towards your cell phone or your neighbor talking or uh, thinking about other things and, and miss what God's trying to do. You can miss the spiritual realities here. Or you can tune in. And what we're going to talk about a lot today is stand firm in what Christ is trying to do in our lives. And so in way uh, of this, I want to begin this morning with just a story <clears throat> and hopefully it will illustrate this point about where we're to stand. And as it goes, a father and son were traveling on their wagon one day uh, amidst the prairie, and they noticed that a fire broke out, a wildfire broke out. They tried desperately to outrun this fire in their wagon, but they soon realized that that was not going to happen. The fire was blazing too fast, it was moving too quickly, it was consuming things in its path at a rate that they couldn't outrun. And so unless they tried something desperate, they knew that this fire would catch them, overtake them, and very likely burn them alive. So much to the bewilderment of the son, the father turned the horse and the wagon around and began driving directly toward the fire. We would never think that this would be a wise decision, but the father had a plan. He took his son on this wagon to a spot that had already been burned. And he yelled to his son, when I say jump, you jump out and you stand right there. Do not move. So they both jumped and the boy grew very scared as he saw this fire raging violently around them and moving closer to them. He wanted to run, but his father grabbed him and said, no, son, don't move. Stand firm. The boy screamed, but father, the fire is upon us. And his voice shook with fear. He said, I just don't understand. The father replied and calmed his son, son. This spot has already been burned. There's nothing left for the fire to grab. This fire will come near to us, but it can't burn what has already been burned before. The boy was safe because he stayed with his father in a place that the fire could not reach. I tell you this today, that Satan cannot cross the bloodline of Jesus Christ. What has been redeemed, Satan can't touch. He can affect us. He can come all around us. He can scare us. We can feel the heat from the flames, but he cannot Take us over if we belong to Jesus. Satan cannot reclaim the cross, but as Satan battles you, he wants you to step away from that ground that's already been burned. S step away from the clutches of your father who holds you in the middle of the storms. Jesus has already been crucified. His resurrection has already secured our victory. Satan cannot touch you when you remain close to Christ. He doesn't even want to go there. You know, demons, 
Satan's minions, those fallen angels, shudder at the very name and mention of Jesus. And so I say, Jesus, 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 stay away from us. How many times have you been in a situation or a place where you just cry out the name of Jesus? You may say, Jesus, help me. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus. And you claim that name. And there is great power and comfort and might in that name. And we stand firm under that name, that beautiful name. If you stand firm in the middle of the safest location, which is the cross of Christ, you will stand victoriously. You will emerge from the fires that rage around you. Maybe you'll smell like smoke. Maybe that'll be a reminder of the victory. When I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace, when they stood for Christ, Christ stood with them. And what happened when they emerged from that fire? There was not a hair singed on their head, nor did they even have the smell of smoke about them. And what a beautiful thought for us. When we stand for Christ, he stands with us. He stands around us, over us, and works through us for deliverance. How do we stand firm? I think that's the biggest, Christian, or biggest question for Christians today. And we have this verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And <clears throat> the passage there, uh, as, it, as it says, and I should have turned to it in my Bible when I told you to turn to it in your Bible. Um, Ephesians 6, verse 10 says this. Finally, as if the whole matter were being brought to a point and a culmination here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You stand firm by relying on God's strength. It's not about your fortitude. It's not about your positive thinking. It's not about uh, your physical might or how disciplined or determined you are. Those are good things, but they are not good enough to battle the enemy in the spiritual realm. Against Satan, pitted against him in our own flesh, we are no match. But he is no match for the God who dwells within us. And so there's beauty and there's power in this thought. Be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his might. To do this, to stand firm and be strong, we need to understand a few things about Christ's power and authority. And I, I made a mistake this week, and I realized it as I was sitting on the front pew this morning, that I did not send or submit my slides this week. And so we don't have slides. But as my wife reminded me, it's okay. We don't have to have those. So y'all just listen. I know a lot of people are, are visual learners, but if you listen today, hopefully uh, we can convey the same message. There is a place in scripture in Genesis 1 um, where, or let me begin with this. When God created man, he made a hugely important decision. He said in Genesis 1:26, let them rule. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking within the Trinity, through the Trinity. And, and, and in effectively what God did when he created Adam and Eve is he said, let mankind have dominion and rule over all the earth. He was to, Adam was to name the animals. He was to tend and cultivate the garden. He was to give care and protection for all of those things that were in his midst. And in essence, God's rule, his, his giving of his rule over to us was God giving us authority in his name. We were under the headship and authority of Christ, but we worked as agents or ambassadors of his. And we know this very much today as God has given us free will, all right? He has given us a will that we can grieve the spirit or we can honor the spirit. We can obey or disobey. We can go our own way or we can follow God in his way. 
And God let us do these things. By letting us as, human, uh, as humanity have dominion over the earth, God willingly drew boundaries where he would respond based on our decisions. Scripture tells us things like, uh, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. But if we run from the Lord, look at Israel, look at the whole Old Testament, what happens? God doesn't go anywhere, but we have gone further in our fleeing away from God and moved out from underneath his covering and protection. And so it was up to Adam to use his God-given abilities to cultivate and rule the earth. To do that, Adam had to withstand Satan's attacks. The problem is that Adam did not withstand Satan's attacks very well. He allowed Satan a strong presence in the garden. And this forced Adam eventually out of the garden. Authority would be replaced. Adam effectively allowed the serpent to rule in his place when he sinned against God. I know some are football fans, some are not, but I'm going to use a little bit of football language this morning. To put it as simply as I know how to, Adam fumbled the ball in the devil's red zone and Satan recovered it. He messed up. Uh, years ago, there was, a, there was a play that the Dallas, I'm, I'm picking on your Cowboys, Steve, all right? Remember Leon Lett? All right. He, he got the nickname Lame Brain after this play, all right? He didn't have to do anything. It was snowing out there. They said, this is Leon Lame Brain Lett now. Great player. Wonderful player. But he, he did something that caused the other team to win the victory. And Leon Lett touched the ball, fumbled it, and it was recovered, and it was horrible. Well, listen, Adam did something horrible. And humanity has been paying for his choices ever since. Um, the fumble began when Eve got out of alignment from under Adam's headship. All right? We're in no way demeaning uh, a female role. We, we honor and, and distinctly uh, praise God for how he created man and woman separately. But God created Adam as the head, just as Jesus is the head of the church. And Eve stepped out from under Adam's headship. And she went and conversed with the serpent, made these decisions on her own, and brought this back to him. And Adam, in return, stepped out from under the headship of God. And when we're, about, when we're both out from underneath this, some bad things begin to happen. The rule of the ball was stripped from Adam's hand and given to Satan. Satan took possession of the garden from that point forward. To this day, Satan is still trying to call plays. He's trying to run out the clock, and humanity has been scrambling ever since. If you're trying to stop the devil in your life, it's because he is probably after you. Listen, if you're running from the devil, the threat's real. Spiritual threats are as real, maybe more real than physical threats are in our lives. And Satan may be coming after you. For most of us, Satan has placed us in this defensive mode where we're not even on offense anymore. We're not sharing the gospel. We're not reaching out to people. We're just trying to protect our own house. We're trying to protect ourselves. And we live kind of shelled up, clammed up in this mode where Satan's got us beat down. And we don't ever reach out or do anything more than just make the day pass by. Even Jesus referred to Satan on three different occasions in the book of John alone. John 12, 31, John 14, 30, and John 16, 11, Jesus said that Satan is the ruler of this world. Did you know that? Satan is governing this present world today. It doesn't mean that he's in control of all things. It doesn't mean he's victorious, 
But he is allowed, permitted authority, authority that he deceived and stole from God's creation, Adam and Eve. Satan is governing this fallen world, but only within the sovereign boundaries set up by God. God is king, Satan is a governor underneath him. And he's not trying to fulfill God's will or plan. Still, Satan rules through deception, through intimidation, and through many other wicked means. When Satan, get this, when he took over governance of this fallen world, along with his governance came a curse of sin upon all of humanity. That curse would affect Adam's career, his finances, his family, his children, his security, and even the number of days of his life. And that's the bad news. But the good news is we are able to get this ball back. We can live in hope and victory when we stand firm in the strength of Christ. We can force another fumble. Only this time, Satan will be the one doing the fumbling, and we can recover the authority that has already been secured for us at the cross of Christ. If you come to Jesus, if you have come, let me say this, to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for salvation, you have already forced the fumble. He can't control you anymore. There's a beautiful old song. Uh, I haven't heard it in a while, but it says, Satan can't cross the bloodline. You ever heard that song before? He can't. He can't come across what Jesus has already claimed. Satan can't touch us. He's going to try to affect us, lie to us, deceive us, whisper to us in every other way. But Jesus has already got us. Through Christ's sacrificial atonement, you and I have already been repositioned for victory in our lives. If we remember, we're not fighting for victory as though it depended upon us. We're fighting from victory. Jesus already won, and we get to live out of that. But so often we don't. And why? Well, here's why. There's three points to this message this morning, and we need to understand the number one point is this. Headship and authority. What is headship? Who's in control? I've gone off course in my life, and you have too, I'm sure, if, if you've been in the same situation as I have, where we have tried to claim headship for our own lives. We've tried to be the authority and the master. We've tried to become the little G God who controls our course and makes our plans and does the things that we want. We want our will done. And when we do that, it's met with terrible results because we stepped out from underneath the Lord. There's one deserving of all headship and authority. And there's also one imposter who's tried to claim it. And so the difference here is this. When God pronounced his curse upon the serpent in the Garden of Eden for deceiving Adam, and for realigning the God authority, God added a prophecy in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed, or between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Right? Um, God made this pronouncement in the garden. Adam and Eve heard this. Satan certainly heard this. And there was a foretelling a prophecy that would take place. In essence, God was telling Adam that he'd messed everything up. He said, Adam, you've turned over the rule of your life and the rule of others' lives over to the enemy by moving out from underneath my covering and authority. But Adam, your wife is going to have a child and she will have offspring that follow. And what's going to happen is these children, this child, this offspring that's to come will have his heel hurt by the serpent. But that same child, the seed of woman, will crush the serpent's head. And that's to be understood this way. Maybe you have seen it, maybe you haven't seen it this way before. <clears throat> the seed of woman, the perfect fulfillment of that was Jesus Christ, 
would crush the serpent's headship, his rule, his authority. So not just his head. We think of a physical head of a snake. You know, you cut the snake's head off, you kill the rest of the body. We, we understand that. But we're talking about crushing his headship. It's more than just a physical act. We're talking about the rule and the authority of Satan over this world. Jesus came and effectively cut off the head of the serpent. He cut off his rule and reign so that Satan would still have power on this earth, but he wouldn't be the authoritative figure anymore. This is relinquished by Christ. Jesus is coming. Um, his headship, his rule and authority crushed, eliminated, ended the reign and rule and authority of Satan on the earth. Now, the heel was wounded in the process. What happened to Jesus? He died. His physical humanity was crushed. He was broken for our sins. He was torn. Stripes covered his back. He was crucified, the spear in his side. That was the result of crushing the head of Satan. It cost God his only son so that he could take back, Jesus would take back for us. He didn't have to do it for himself. God was still in control. But for you and I, Jesus gave everything so that authority would be reclaimed. That truth is powerful for us. On the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus blew the whistle and won the game for all time. The ball is in Christ's court again. It belongs to us, even though we rarely claim the authority that Jesus has given to us. Listen to God's declaration of Satan's removal of authority. Listen to what God says about he's removing Satan's authority in John chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. You want to write this verse down and read it later. It's a good one to reread and study. John 12, 31, 32. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Listen, Jesus is saying, when, when authority in your life is given back to him, and you submit and humbly fall under his authority, he not only draws you to himself, he continues to be your protector, your provider, your redeemer. Not just your savior, but your Lord as well. And he says, this is a call to evangelism. If you'll lift up the name of Jesus, then men can come to me. But if you lift up the name of Satan, if he's your master, and nobody will... ...people in that direction. Jesus says, if I'm lifted up from the earth... I'll draw all men to myself. To put it another way, um, when you come to Jesus and accept his sacrifice by faith, you're putting yourself underneath. trying to pressure you into bowing down to his will. But once you and I truly realize Jesus has ultimately defeated him, you'll be set free to live your life in victory. Guys, when we stop cowering and fearing the devil and we start standing up and walking in faith with Jesus, things change in our lives. Literally, our problems don't all disappear, but the solution to our problems becomes more clear. We see him for who he is, and we walk in the light of that. We don't cower in the darkness and hide. We're not in the defensive mode anymore. We're in the offensive mode. 
This will become more clear when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not, not the fruit of the Spirit, but the armor of God in the coming weeks. And we're going to talk, start talking about those next Sunday. And so Satan got pummeled at Calvary. He dropped the ball, and he knows that. Satan knows that he's already beaten. God knows that too. It's time we did as well, that we don't live in the fear of a, a loser, that we live in light of the eternity of Christ and the victory that we have won. That's headship uh, and authority. The second point is this. Did you know there's a difference between authority and power? This is authority versus power. This matters spiritually for us that are sitting in here today. And you may think, well, this isn't very exciting stuff to talk about, but this is real practical stuff for us. One of our biggest problems in spiritual warfare is that we don't know the truth of God's word and we don't stand firm in it. Listen, a lot of people, maybe you've gone to church for 70 years and you know the word of God well. Do you stand firm in it? Maybe we don't know the word of God. If we don't know the word of God, we can't live it out. We can't claim the promises. We haven't hidden it in our heart. It's not something there that we readily draw from. But we're to know the word of God and to stand firm in it. That means claiming the promises of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Never will I leave you or forsake you, he promises. Promise after promise that God gives us. We have to know those and then believe them enough to stand in them. It's one thing, listen, it's one thing for someone to point a gun at you that has bullets in it. But it's an entirely different thing for someone to point an empty gun at you, right? My wife did something really cool. And she surprised me big time, right? At first, uh, she was videoing me. I was like, why are you videoing me, right? We're, we're pulling in last night to this place, and she's driving. First of all, that was weird because I usually drive. And I was like, why are you driving? Well, you don't know where we're going. I was like, well, that makes sense. She pulls up to this place, and I noticed she's got her hand on the steering wheel, and she's got her camera uh, pointed at me. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you videoing me? And she says, I'm going to get your reaction. And I'm like, okay. And so we pull up to an, uh, an indoor shooting range. And I'm like, what? I was like, you hate guns. I said, I don't have my gun. I don't have any bullets. Why are we here? And she's like, not the reaction I was looking for. And I was like, yeah. I said, I am excited. I was like, it's just, I wasn't expecting this. And we go inside, and you've got to understand my wife. Um, I was raised in a household with a Marine father and a brother who's in Special Forces today, and all of our family military grew up shooting in 4-H. Um, we, we have a, a great love of guns, of hunting and shooting and target practice and things, shooting skeet. Um, Jennifer doesn't share that love. In fact, she doesn't like guns. And um, so um, it was a big deal last night when we were standing in the range, and we, I didn't have my gun, obviously, because it was a surprise, so we got to rent some different guns that they had, and uh, then when you rent different guns, you also have to buy their different ammunition, so they got you either way. But um, we started out shooting um, a Ruger 357 Magnum. 357 Magnum shoots also 38 uh, caliber shells, and um, it wasn't as big of a kick on the gun, and I was so excited to see my wife get up there, and I wish I had the picture to show you this grouping. Listen, guys, if you're standing around 20 feet away from her, she's going to blow your head off, all right? <laughs> it's good for me to know, right? Luckily, she doesn't own a gun, so. But this is the effective point of this message, that there's a difference in somebody that's holding a gun that's loaded and somebody that's holding a gun that's unloaded. When somebody that holds a gun at you that's loaded, danger, fear, I mean, legitimate. 
when somebody is pointing a gun at you that's unloaded, the best they got is something to hurl at you, right? And you might dodge that one. The problem with us is that we don't know whether the gun's loaded or not, right? I mean, that's, that's the real issue at play here. We have no need to fear an empty gun. The devil doesn't want us to know that his gun has been emptied at the cross of Jesus Christ. But he'll keep pointing it at us to scare us off course. The most the devil can do for you and I is to pretend the gun is loaded and to point it at us. He can't kill our souls anymore. Amen? When you don't know Satan's guns are unloaded, when you don't know that his, his clip is empty, you'll act as though you're defeated because you wrongly believe that Satan has the power over you. He can control me. I want you to get in the car. You know, you're going to go get in the car if the gun's loaded and pointed at you. Well, Satan has lost his authority. At the cross, Jesus deactivated, dismantled, and disarmed Satan's headship. Satan lost his authority. He no longer has authority over you as a child of God. But the problem is this. Satan may have lost his authority, but he hasn't lost his power. And there's a difference in that. Just as there's a difference between a loaded gun and an unloaded gun. There's a difference in authority. At Jesus, at the cross of Christ, Satan's authority was stripped away over every believer. But Satan still has power in this world. He's still a murderer. He's still a liar. He's still a thief. He's still going to attempt to steal, kill, and destroy all that he can in the wake of what he's doing. But he does not have authority to use his power when we live under the legitimate authority of Jesus Christ. Listen, you want to know how to win. The simple truth of it is this. You stay close to Christ. Satan can't touch you there. It does not mean that problems still won't come in to our world. They will. Financial wars, career wars, family wars, emotional wars. We're still going to have battles. That's part of humanity. Jesus fought battles. The disciples fought battles. The apostles fought battles. Early Christians fought battles. We fought battles our whole lives. Satan still does real damage. But his authority over us is what has changed. And so Satan knows this, just like he did with Adam and Eve. <laughs> if he can lure you out from underneath your fellowship with Christ, underneath your obedience to Christ, underneath Christ's headship, then he makes you an open target. It's like this. If the sheep was with the flock, man, that flock is pretty safe. The shepherd's watching over it. But if one night, one of these sheep get up and they, they wander into the woods. Man, the wolves are licking their lips. Because that one sheep that's abandoned the rest of the flock is easy prey we got to be careful that we don't leave the strength, the strength and the sanctity that God has provided for us. And hopefully I can demonstrate that well with this final point. The third point is this, your union with Jesus Christ. Now think about this too. Um, we, were, uh, we were cleaning out the, the uh, lost and found closet. And uh, if you've lost one of the 800 umbrellas that's in that lost and found closet... Tonight, you can reclaim it at the chili cook-off, right? We're going to have a table out there with junk that everybody's lost in here, and people have lost some weird stuff. Um, but we were cleaning out that closet the other day. Mickey was in there working, and he's like, hey, come look at all these umbrellas. Illustration of an umbrella. There were some big umbrellas. There were some broken umbrellas. Uh, there were some little bitty umbrellas. And the purpose of an umbrella is, one of the main purposes is during the rain. We open the umbrella, and as long as you stand underneath that umbrella, you should stay pretty dry. Now, it could be like Forrest Gump's friend who says, you know, what all kinds of rain are coming in. 
the, the sideways rain, the stinging rain, and all the other kinds. But when you're standing underneath the umbrella, you're dry. Step out from underneath the umbrella, you get wet. You're not covered anymore. You're, you're going to get soaked, right? Under the umbrella, you're kept safe. Same thing. Underneath the covering of Jesus Christ, when you stay in obedience with him, when you stay in fellowship with him, when you stay intimate with him, there is a covering there that is designed for your safety and your good. But when you say, I don't need that anymore, and you step out here, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of other things. And so this is this third point when we talk about our union with Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.13 tells us that God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the dominion of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You were rescued. There was a, there was a, a, a Navy SEAL mission that went on in there, and, and he got you out, and Jesus saved you, and he pulled you to safety, and you're good now, man. You've been rescued from that uh, prisoner of war camp that you were in. You've been rescued from hell and an eternity separated from God, and you've been brought to a new place, a safe place. God brought us under the rule of a new king. And so for Satan, if Satan is going to rule your life, he has to entice you to leave your kingdom and come back to his. That's a decision that we make. I was never a kid that uh, climbed out of the window at night and ran away uh, so my parents didn't know where I was and go hung out all night. But I'm telling you this, you think about Jericho. Or you think about a castle or a kingdom or something with tall walls. When you know you're safe and you're covered and there's no threat to you and that all is well within the walls, but you choose at night to climb over the wall and go out into the world, you open yourself up to the susceptibility of something happening to you where you're no longer safe. We can't live both ways where we have all the protection and safety and every night we climb over the wall and go live in the world. And then every morning we come back in and act like nothing's wrong. Eventually something is going to be proven wrong or we're going to go missing. We're going to be MIA or KIA. The, um, the idea here is that in order for Satan to rule your life, he has to entice you to leave, to get outside the gates, to go underneath his rule, to come into his kingdom. And we won't live very victorious lives if we keep flipping sides. The enemy is victorious in our lives when we yield when we say, okay, I'm going to go do all these things that God doesn't get glory from, that Jesus doesn't want me to do, that grieve the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to come back in here and I'm going to say, why aren't you protecting me? Why aren't you taking care of me? Why aren't things going my way? Why am I being blessed? And God will say to you, in no uncertain terms, stop going and playing with snakes if you don't want to get bit. Stop putting your hand in the fire if you don't want to get burnt. Just stay under me. You see, the enemy is victorious in our lives when we don't stand firmly under Jesus. Your union with Christ is essential to your victory over Satan's rule in your life. Your union is the key to victory. Listen to what Colossians 2, this is the last verse that I have this morning to share with you. And then I want to make one more point here, maybe seven Probably just one, though. Colossians 2, 8, and 12. Listen. Listen to what it says. Write it down, maybe, um, so you can go back and read it later. Uh, I just failed you guys by not having it on the screens, but listen. Just listen. See to it. Make every effort that you possibly can. 
that no one takes you captive or makes you a prisoner of war by philosophy and empty deceit, which is according to human tradition. I went to college. I heard a whole, I was a biology major. I worked for the university tutoring biology. There's a diverse kingdom out there that differs from the kingdom that Christ has established even within the realm of science and biology, right? And you start going into class, I wonder how many have been led astray by the philosophies of man according to this world, according to the spiritual aspects of this world. Because one, you're trying to get a grade, you're trying to impress somebody in your class, you're trying to impress your teacher, or it's a whole new thing that seems exciting at the time, and you walk into a college classroom and you're taught lies, and you have to bite that hook in order to get that A. And so, listen, that's not the only place that it happens. It happens on the news. It happens in movies. More and more are we pressed into believing that these ways of life are okay and acceptable. And then if you don't accept those things, there's something wrong with you as a child of God. We have to be careful that the philosophies of the world and the fallen world at that don't replace the truth of what we know Christ is teaching us. And so he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Jesus, you see all of God, right? He is the visual, visible representation of God. You want to know more about God? You study Jesus. You'll see the characteristics and the, the, the reactions and the ideas that God carries. He says, you have been filled or brought to fullness in Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. He's telling us that we're filled up, right? With the same God who is authoritative, you have that in you, Christian. In him, you were also circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, which was made without human hands. He says, this happened by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. If you ever had a problem with what this means, it's simply this. Through Jesus, your faith in Jesus, God cut away the sinful nature. That's all it means. You're without that. You still have flesh, yeah, but your spirit, God has forgiven your sins and redeemed you. And here's what he says. You have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him to new life through faith in the powerful working of God. The reason why I bring this verse in is this. Simply listen to this. This is where it all kind of comes to a summary. All the fullness of God, all the fullness of God dwells within Jesus Christ. Not some of it, not part of it, all the fullness of God, according to this passage of Scripture. And it's Jesus who holds, big word, A-L-L, all things together. So if you and I find our lives falling apart, falling apart and unraveling, if we find our minds are, are slipping and things aren't held together anymore, guess what? All the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus, and he holds all things together. But yet my life is no longer all together. Guess who's moved? Was it him? No. Was it us? Yes. And very likely, if you're experiencing the difficulties of this in our lives, 
I'm not castigating or pointing fingers. I'll use myself as the example. When my life starts falling apart, it's usually, almost always, because I've stepped away from Christ. He holds it all together. I don't have it all together. Therefore, I need to get back underneath the one who holds it all together. Simple, right? But we don't think of it that way. Be careful if you're falling out of union with Jesus because your victory, your daily victory, is intimately connected to Jesus. The key to living spiritual life that wins the spiritual battles is staying close to Christ. When Christ died, you and I died with him. The old man died. The sinful nature died. When Christ arose, we were promised the resurrection too. When Christ was seated at the right hand of glory of the Father, we were seated with him. Because God created us and remade us to function in union with Jesus. God's blessing falls on those who are close to him. God's spirit walks with those who are close to him. He wants us to be close to him. When we step away from that willingly, we forsake a lot of the blessings and help that we could receive. John 8, 36 is this beautiful verse. It's great to quote. It says, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. But when I look around in churches, not just our church, but everywhere, when I look around at Christianity, I don't see a lot of people that are living free indeed. Right? We claim the truth will set you free. It will. I mean, that's the promise of God. And if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. But part of the reason so many of us um, aren't living free indeed is because we've settled for temporary things. We can come under Jesus to get this victory, to get this grade on a test, to get this job, to get this home, to get this spouse, and then we'll step out and do whatever we want to. And we're like, why aren't you re- blessing the rest of my life? Because you go to God in the emergency situations in life, and you fall under his covering, and you bow down, and you pray, and you, you ask, and then for the rest of it, you're like, okay, he did that for me. I'll take the reins from here, God. God's like, no, 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 no. I want to give you the blessing, and I want to help you with it throughout the remainder of your days. Don't come in when you need help and go out, or you won't feel the experience of a full spiritual victory. It's only in union with Christ. It's only underneath the headship and authority of Christ It's only through the Holy Spirit's working in your life, and it's only with Jesus that we'll find the real authority that we need, not just to live this roller coaster life where there's a victory, oh, there's a downturn, there's a victory, there's a downturn. No, consistent victories in life, remaining with Jesus. Don't just use him for the emergency fire extinguisher situations. Live your whole life fireproof. I'm going to ask you guys to pray with me. And in praying, I'm just going to ask you to consider this one thought. Are you underneath Jesus today? I mean, right now, in your life, is he the head? Is he the king? Is he the Lord? Is he the boss? Is he the master? Have you surrendered and submitted? Or have you stepped out from underneath that covering and you're doing things your way? Now ask yourself honestly, how's that going for you? Do you need help? Do you need strength? Do you need encouragement? Do you need mending? Do you need equipping? Do you need hope? Do you need a restoration of joy? 
God is offering you and I the opportunity to come under his headship. First of all, if you're a lost person this morning, I say that you're lost because you hadn't found Jesus. That's the only reason. It's not because you're any worse off than any of those other people were. But without Jesus, you got nothing. And so this morning, if you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is literally a prayer of faith away. There's no magic incantation that you say with words. It means calling from your heart and just saying, God, I've fallen short of you. I've messed up. I've made a mess of my life. I, I, I know I'm a sinner, God. And today, God, what I want more than anything else is to be forgiven of that sin and to be made right with you. And so, Lord, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And God, I pray that if there's a soul that said that this morning, that they would be so brave as to make that commitment public today so that we can rejoice with them. For the rest of us, Lord God, who may have already trusted Jesus as Savior, Lord, if we've stepped out from underneath your headship and covering, I pray that today we would repent and tell you that we're sorry and that you would draw us back into alignment with your will. Lord, I know a lot of us do it. We do it all the time. And so today, God, if we're out of alignment, pull us back in. Straighten us up. Convict us. You won't break us without healing us. So maybe if we need to be broken today, break us. But Lord, ultimately restore us and heal us. Help us, Lord God, where we've gotten out of alignment and maybe we're walking with the devil in parts of our lives. You can't bless those parts, Lord. So help us to fall on our faces and knees before you and confess. Ultimately, God, we wanna win. You've already provided the way to victory. Help us to follow after it. In Jesus' precious name we pray.